Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. Just the other day on Friday, I went outside and I was walking to my car for whatever reason and And as I was walking there, it was just gloomy. It was just one of those sort of gray, ashy days with not a lot going on. And I just kind of felt the sadness that comes along with it. And and it made me think a little bit of seasonal affective disorder. Because like we have like a handful of gray days a year. And when like the weather is not gorgeous, I'm kind of like, ooh, wow, it's really hard right now. And I think of like some of my, my wife's family members who live in Michigan where the sun disappears for six months out of the year, where sometime in September the sun stops shining and doesn't show up again until sometime after Easter. And there's a a sadness and, and the sort of angst and depression that comes from not seeing that. I also think it's really ironic, if you've never noticed this, that seasonal affective disorder is abbreviated as sad. I think whatever psychologist came up with that designation certainly had a sense of humor. One of the geniuses of of the Chronicles of Narnia is that before any of this was a thing, C.S. Lewis understood the way that the grayness of winter made us feel. When he talked about the curse that the white witch had put on Narnia, part of the curse was that it was always winter, but never Christmas. It was perpetually stuck at December 20th. The day was always as dark as it got. It was always winter and never Christmas. And so the the creatures of Narnia were led to something that was more than sadness. Something more than just sadness. They were led to despair. You see, there's this contrast, right? The opposite of sadness is happiness. But sadness has a way of working itself into our lives. Sadness has a way of working itself into something deeper, into something more. And that something more we often call despair. And despair is the opposite of joy. So while happiness and sadness are contrasted with one another, the other contrast that we see is the contrast between despair and joy. We hear a lot about joy around Christmas. But what we experience a lot of, whether this year or another year, wherever we are, we experience a lot of despairs. Yes, this is acute right now. It is, it is trite at this point to sort of mention the way 2020 has caused many of us to despair. There is a podcast that I listen to, and the podcast host has a pre-recorded advertisement for the app Calm, which is an app that helps you calm down and relax. And in it, he says, 2020 has been a lot. And as he says that, his voice kind of catches. And the first time I heard this advertisement, I thought, yeah, yeah, it really has. 
But now, after I've heard this advertisement some 50 or more times, and his, his voice has caught in exactly the same way because it's a recording that he recorded six months ago, it's almost a joke. Our despair is so present with us that it's almost a joke. We are lonely, isolated, anxious, we're insecure. The walls of our home seem to creep inward day by day. And we are left in all of this, wondering, looking, asking if joy is real. Is joy really a thing? And if it is really a thing, is it a thing that I can experience? Because I got a lot of despair, but not so much joy. Let's think of this another way. Here's an experiment. I want you to to take a second, clear your mind, and I want you to think of a joyful person that you know. A person that you know in real life that is genuinely joyful. All right? Fix that person in your mind. Now think of another. Now think of another. Now think of another. And you all start chuckling because the magic number is maybe three. It might actually be two. It is that hard for us to think of genuinely joyful people. We have given in. We have given in to the hopelessness, the despair that we could experience joy like this. You see, We just assume despair as a default position. But it is actually the brokenness that sin works in our heart and this world that creates that. That creates that feeling and that sense that despair will always win. We don't experience joy because we don't expect to. We don't experience joy because we don't expect to, because we don't conceive of it as possible. But joy is real. Joy is real and it is rooted, especially this time of year, in the story of Christmas. And so what I want to show you this morning is is where joy comes from, what joy is really all about, and how Christmas, how Advent points the longing of our despairing hearts to that joy that we can find in Jesus. So if you would, stand up. I'm going to read a portion of Luke chapter 2. It's the the Christmas story that we've heard a hundred times that you, you may even be able to recite, that we have our children memorize. I'm going to read just a portion of it, but let's listen with the ears looking for this idea of joy. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
and this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for our despairing hearts this morning. You may be seated. As we begin to talk about joy, it is helpful for us to first clear up a misconception, clear up a bad idea that we have. You see, joy is not just an emotion or a choice that only the privileged and powerful have. It is easy for us to assume, to assume that joy is just something that other people get to experience. Let me, let me phrase this another way. There is a movie called Orange County, and it's about a young man dealing with all that it is to grow up in Orange County. And at one point, he says to his mother, Mom, you know that money can't buy you happiness. And she, sort of the classic Orange County suburban mom, says, Oh, grow up, Sean. Yes, it can. And we all sort of fight this thing inside of us, where on the one hand, we go, Yeah, money can't buy us happiness. But then we say, but it can buy me this, which is pretty close. Money can't buy me happiness, but it can buy me books. And that's nice. It can buy me new kitchen equipment. And that's pretty good. Money can't buy me happiness, but it can buy me whiskey. And that's pretty close. Or you fill in whatever your sort of vice or virtue is. And so much as money can purchase that, you think it's that, okay, maybe, maybe happiness is a little bit easier with money. On the other hand, we know that that's just not true, right? We know rich people who are terribly miserable, and we know people who live without that are incredibly happy. And the same is true with joy. Joy is not something that is relegated to only one group of people. It is not like the wealthy or the privileged are the one that can experience joy. And actually, that comes to the forefront in this passage. Because who does the angel say that joy is for? This great joy that you're going to experience because of the good news is for all people. It's for all people. But God doesn't just say that through the angels. God also shows that through who he is speaking to. These angels do not come to the halls of power and Herod's house, just seven miles up the road. These these angels do not come to the religious people just up the road at the temple. The announcement of Jesus' birth comes to shepherds. Shepherds who are the kind of people who had no power. They were on the the rung of things at the bottom of the blue-collar pyramid of workers in ancient Israel. And there is no shame in blue-collar work, but there's also not a lot of power in blue-collar work. And not only that, because they constantly dealt with animals, because they constantly dealt with animals and death and all of the things that went along with it, they were pretty much ceremonially unclean 
all year long, except for when they had to clean up for the festival days. If you were a shepherd, you probably only went to the temple three or four days out of the year because you were ceremonially unclean. And shepherds were not only not powerful, not only were they not the height of religious people, but they were also excluded in other ways. In, in rabbinic law, a shepherd's testimony was not valid testimony. That's, th- these are not the up-and-up movers and shakers of society. They are the downtrodden. They are the lowly. And this, this group of people, this lowly, downtrodden people are the ones whose ears hear from the lips of angels good news of great joy, which is going to be to all people. And this is really good news for us, City Church. Because I think many of you, I know many of you feel like the downtrodden. You feel like the lowly. No matter what your financial situation is, no matter what your educational situation is, you feel like you are beaten down. Whether it's the the sort of general loneliness and angst that we have from this year, or maybe you're somebody who's experienced this sort of loneliness for a long time. It's been the story of your life. It's been generations in the making. Or maybe it's something that you've experienced recently in a really acute way. Maybe through the loss of a loved one or the loss of a job. All of us can relate to this idea of being lowly and downtrodden. I know I can. I mean, I know what despair feels like. When it feels like nothing will ever possibly go right. That everything that can go wrong will go wrong and will happen at the worst time. And when I assume that position of despair, I cut myself off to the possibility of joy. When I assume that despair is the only way forward, I remove the opportunity to be surprised by joy. I do this, church. I think you do too. God is making peace between God and man. Jesus is making peace between God and man, and he is bringing joy to all people. Joy is real, and it is available to us. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want to challenge you with this idea. Do you believe that joy is really possible? And if it and if it is, what is the possible source of that joy? Because we as Christians believe that the only real source of joy is rooted in the peace that God gives us, in the the steadied and sure fact that as Julian Norwich said, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. 
Our Christian joy is rooted in our idea of peace. That's what we're getting at. That's where this is going. Because the angels show up and they announce this joy and this peace. But it's not the first thing that they say, is it? What is the first thing that the angels say to the shepherds? Fear not. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Now, in the Bible, angels show up in one of two ways. Either angels look almost identical to humans, or angels are described as having like 6 to 16 wings and 10,000 eyeballs. Now, it's unclear here in Luke which version of the angels we're getting, right? If we're getting hideous eyeball monsters or people floating around in the heavens. Either way, right, if I see legions of people in heaven floating around, shining bright light on me, I'm terrified. Also, also if I see 10,000-eyed monsters talking to me, also, also terrified, right? So it's kind of a lose-lose. I'm going to be afraid either way. But it wasn't just that, like, maybe these are shining heavenly beings talking to us or crazy six-wing things looking at me. But there's something else that would have struck the shepherds. The shepherds saw these angels in their glory. Glory is always connected to the holiness of God. Glory is the way that the holiness of God is reflected so that we can see it. If holiness is the sun, glory is the moonlight. And so as these angels reflect God's holiness in all of its brightness as the shepherds, the shepherds could see the darkness of their own souls. The very presence of these angels in all of their glory and brightness revealed a need in the shepherds. They needed someone to bridge the gap between them and God. They knew that sin had created hostility between God and man. That sin was not only what cast Adam and Eve out of the garden, but it's what you and I do. It's what they did that walked away from God again and again and again, which is why the angels go on to describe this baby. They say the great joy that you're going to have that is based on the good news is because a child is born and he's not just any sort of child. This child that is born is a savior and he's the Messiah and he's the Lord. All of these things, all of these titles, all of these descriptions of Jesus are the ways in which he bridges the gap between God and us. Only Jesus could make peace between God and man. And throughout the Old Testament, that was what the people kept coming back to. You don't have to know very much Hebrew or really any Hebrew at all to know the word shalom. It is, it is the greeting even today that in Hebrew you give to someone else. It is the idea of peace. Shalom is what existed between God and man in the Garden of Eden. Shalom is what was broken 
and lost when the people were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And now, what is it that the angels announce that has come, that God has done between God and man? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, shalom. All of this, all of this was God bringing himself in the form of Jesus. He was bringing peace. He brings peace to us out of his own grace. He gives us this peace between God and man freely. It's not something that we have to earn. It is not something that we have to merit. Church, if you want to grow in joy, if you want to be the sort of person that when our mind says, who is joyful, if that is something that you want to see grow in your life, it's not by waking up tomorrow morning and gritting your teeth and saying, I'm going to be more joyful. It doesn't work that way. It literally cannot work that way. You cannot grit and hustle your way to joy. What you have to do is begin to root yourself in the peace between God and man. And the good news that God has come here and made a way for you to have peace with God. The only way to grow in joy is to understand more and more that God has already made peace between you and him. That you are already the beloved adopted sons and daughters of God. And the more you understand that, the more you begin to see that as the real truth of your life, the more joy will begin to pour out of you. Joy is always something that follows after our understanding of peace. Just like the angels announce it, I bring you good news. If you've been around the church, you know that that's where we get our word gospel. I bring you gospel, which will be for you great joy. Our rooted and groundedness in the gospel is what creates joy in us. And it's nothing that we can attain. It's nothing that we can control. This is not us managing our sin and managing our reputation. Our striving doesn't bridge the gap between God and us. We think that we can manage this. This is not. We can't create plans. We can't do self-care to create joy. Joy is always and only rooted in the peace that God gives us in Jesus. Joy is always and only rooted in what Jesus has done on our behalf. And so he came to earth. The incarnation that we celebrate at Advent is him living the life that we could never live, is him fulfilling the law of the Old Testament in ways that we can't even imagine that we break it. And then he, out of his deep richness, his love for us, gives us his righteousness. So that right now, right this instant, when God looks at you, he sees all of the righteousness of Jesus. He sees all of the goodness that Jesus has done and he sees none of your sin the holy God of the universe who commands legions of angels, both the, the weird kind and the human -y kind, the one whose glory is so much that we can't look at it directly and we can only see it reflected in other things. That God of the universe who is all-knowing has chosen to forget your sin, Christian. 
That's how deep the peace is that he has given to you. And he gives it to you by faith. And so we steady ourselves. We anchor ourselves in this sort of shalom, in this sort of peace. And out of that grows joy. Out of that grows the real and tangible joy. It starts in our souls and it extends to every laugh that we share with someone else. When we steady ourselves in the peace that God has made between us and himself, shadows are now cast in new directions. We have a blessed assurance that we are the beloved children of God and no sorrow, no loneliness can ever take that away. When we are joyful because we are grounded in the peace that God has given us, it is not the fleeting momentary taste of happiness, but rather a steady and enduring sense of joy. And so we become emissaries. We become messengers of joy in a city of despair. Because here's the other thing, the last thing I want to tell you about joy. Joy is incredibly unique in this. It is one of the few things that the more of it you give away, the more of it you have. The more joy that you give away to others, the more joy you have. Think of that. What else can you think of that the more of it you give away, the more of it you have? Because that is what joy is. Church, we are the people who God has made peace with, who God has adopted and who God loves dearly. And out of that grows joy that we are called to share with others, that we are called to spread that. So church, let's give joy to others this Christmas in every way that we can imagine. Let us be the people who wage peace and give joy here in St. Petersburg. Let's pray.